G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Have you ever had to buy a present for someone who has everything? What a dilemma. You don't know what to get them because they already have everything. Well, the Bible says that we also have all things in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And that's the blessing of the new covenant. So what does Paul pray for Christians that have everything? Just this, that they'll know what they have, that their eyes will be opened, that they'll be given a spirit of revelation and knowledge of what they have under the new covenant. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. Thanks for joining us. It's Phil here along with author and pastor Ken Legg. And over the last couple of days, we've been looking at thinking, in particular, Old Covenant versus New Covenant thinking. What does that mean and why is it actually important in the life of a believer? Ken has written a book just recently called New Covenant, New Glory. And this week, Ken, this whole subject of the New Covenant, it's been drawing attention to some of the dramatic differences between these two ways of thinking, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and how they actually affect our lives and how we'll be, I guess, impoverished uh, if, if we fail to understand that the covenant God has made and what that actually is, uh, the covenant that he's made on our behalf. But is there a place in the Bible where it says the Old Covenant finishes here and then the New Covenant begins you know, at this point? Well, Jeremiah was the first one to predict a new covenant was coming because the old one was broken. The children of Israel were given that many chances and <laughs> they were carried away into captivity. And, and as uh, you know, Jeremiah saw them leaving the land, as it were, he said, well, the days are coming when there'll be a new covenant that God will make with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob and so on. And uh, then, of course, Jesus in the upper room, uh, when he took the bread and the wine, he, he passed the cup around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And, of course, the, the disciples weren't ready for that. And I, I would imagine that, you know, there was a chill that went up and down their spine as they just, you know, just realized the significance of the moment. And um, then, of course, when Jesus died on the cross the next day, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. And that was the, mm. that was the moment when the New Testament began. A lot of people think that the New Testament begins at Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, but that's not the case. It was not until Jesus died and the veil was rent from the top to the bottom he said, it is finished, the old was done with, and of course, you know, the new had come in. Mm, so technically the first part of the Gospels all should be in the Old Testament. <laughs> well, Jesus came. You see, the, the problem was that under the, um, under the law, a lot of the Old Covenant people actually thought that they were keeping the law. Mm. They thought, we're okay, we don't need a new covenant because we can tick all the boxes. But Jesus came and he said, well, actually, you're not. You're falling far short, and, and he interpreted its true meaning. For example, murder is not just the act of murder. It's the thought in the heart, and same with adultery and so on. And so by the time he'd finished teaching the length and the breadth and the height and, 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 and you know the true meaning of the law, everyone was uh, convinced <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, we haven't kept it. We've all, we've all fallen short. And then they're ready for the, the good news of the gospel. I guess like many parts of the gospel, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall, you know, to watch the looks on their faces now when... 
when they realised the significance of what was happening, and particularly when the veil was torn in two. Yeah, well, actually, some commentators say that at that particular moment, priests would have been in the holy place ministering there mm. when the veil was rent, and they would have seen the whole thing. And then we go over into the Acts of the Apostles in the early chapters, I think it's chapter 6, it says that many priests were obedient to the faith mm. because after the the preaching of the apostles, they would have understood the significance of, of what had happened. The old had finished and the new had come. Mm. Now, let me just read to you from um, Hebrews chapter 8, which quotes from that prophecy of Jeremiah about uh, the character of the new covenant, why it would be different, in what way it would be different to the old covenant. In verse 10 of chapter 8, uh, we read these words. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's incredible imagery that, that God writes his laws on our hearts. When you think about when Moses brought the law down uh, from Mount Sinai, it was written on stone, and now he's saying it's written on our hearts. What does that mean? Well, basically, of course, under the old covenant, holiness was external. It was all about rule keeping, you know, just what it looks like on the outside. And that's by by the time you got to the end of the Old Testament, the Pharisees were so focused on appearance that they lived hypocritically. As long as they looked good to others, that's all that mattered. But, of course, holiness is a matter of the heart. And, and God said that he's going to write it on our hearts and holiness will be an internal thing. Um of course, Paul draws out the analogy of, of where this actually makes a difference, where the rubber meets the road in, in our daily living. He says, under the old covenant, it's like being married to the law. It was a sterile marriage. It didn't produce any any fruit. Now, Paul was deceived into, into thinking it would. You know, He says this mm-hmm. in, in Romans chapter 7. He said, I was deceived by this. Because you know what it's like, Phil, when somebody comes along and says, if we will do this and this and this, then we'll get these results, you know. God will be pleased with us and we'll he'll pour out his blessing. And um, we think, yes, I'm going to do that. And we go through this whole thing. It might be, you know, if we will pray more so we get up earlier, uh, you know, another hour earlier every morning. How long does it last? We were deceived. We, we thought that we could do it, but but it's just total failure because it's mm. a, an external thing. It's not about relationship. It's all about rules, and, and rules don't really change your life, do they? That's right. And yet what we've been saved for is a relationship. And, and when we got born again, we were baptized into Christ, which means we were we died to the law and our relationship with the law, mm-hmm. and now we're married to him. And it's all about living in relationship with Jesus. You know, we, he's the vine, we're the branches, we abide in him, we bear much fruit. Mm. And you could say that rules have the opposite effect of, of what really God wants for us to have. In that relationship, they do actually. It reminds me of a story I heard of, um, you know, a lady who's uh, going to pop down to the shops, and she says to her son, "Look, I'm just going to go down the shops. I do not want you to go into the cupboard and touch the cookie jar." Oh, here we go. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's a red rag or Yeah, well, of course he wasn't <laughs> even thinking cookies, you know. But but the law actually suggested that thought to him that wasn't even there before. You know, the law touches the point of our rebellion. And it makes us want to do the thing that we're told not to do. This is what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 5 when he was talking about this kind of thing. He said, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So the law comes in and stirs up the sinful passions. Mm. When it says don't, we say, I want to. (laughs) Mm. When it says do this, I'm not going to, you know. It has that opposite effect, doesn't it? It sort of touches the point of our rebellion. Yeah, that's right. Here's another story, Phil. 
Um, I heard a story about a guy that owned a restaurant on a pier, you know, going out to sea. Yep. And his windows kept getting broken because the fishermen would come and, and fish off the pier. Of course, every time they, they cast their line, the sinkers would break his windows behind. <laughs> so he's pulling his hair out. And he said, I don't know what to do. He's telling his friend, I don't know what to do about this. And there was a sign right out in front of his uh, restaurant that said, no fishing off this point. And so his friend said, take the sign down. He said, but I don't want them to fish. He said, take the sign down. So they took the sign down and guess what? They no stopped more, fishing? No more, no more broken windows. Because the sign put a thought in their minds, this must be a good place to fish. They're telling us don't fish from here. <laughs> and so it, it actually had the opposite effect. That's funny. Yeah, you might call it human nature, but you know, it's, it's sinful nature really, isn't it? It's so uh, yeah. something we can all relate to. But don't, you know, don't tell th- me there's, what there's to a do. truth in this, uh, and it's this that Paul says, sin will not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under law, mm. but under grace. Mm. That's why sin will not have dominion over us now, because the law... Uh, you know, the Bible says the strength of sin is the law. So what you're saying really is that the law, it's an external thing, but grace, on the other hand, under the new covenant, it's an internal thing. Yeah, you know, I, I said uh, previously this week that, you know, um, legalistic people are very sincere people. They have a will to change, and that's what Paul says. He says, to will is present with me, but how to do it, I don't know. In other words, he had the will but no power. Now, under grace, we get both. Paul says it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what we have the will or the inclination to do, we also have the power to follow through because we've got Christ on the inside giving us life, giving us the power to follow through. And talk about somebody who would have understood grace. Paul, just such an inspiration in, uh, in the New Testament. That's where we must leave it for today. But join us tomorrow as we continue our look at the New Covenant. Until then, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg, including the book New Covenant, New Glory, which features topics from today's message, shop online at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.